Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome everyone and welcome to this week's guest, Deirdre Shill. Deirdre, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? Going well, thank you. Now, I asked this question before we jumped on. I should have waited because you started giving me some great insight, but I'll ask it again now. Tell me about your brand, My Beautiful Self, and where that sprung from. My Beautiful Self started um, when I was on a journey, on my own journey, with uh, living with my brother who hadn't spoken to me for around 10 years because of previous business stuff. Anyway, um, on his journey, he was uh, he was he were living in a house together, and I was the one who was cooking and cleaning and, you know, nurturing like like being kind of like you know if I was his wife, you know, you know doing all of the stuff. And when his children were there, my my nephews and my niece, you know, doing the mothering role without being the mum, you know, the auntie, and. Um, I was going through my own really challenging time within myself as well because I had only not long, I recently, on this journey with Stephen, I had actually, um, I was pregnant and I had already three grown sons and my youngest son at the time was 20 years old. And here I was at 43 years old having my fourth child uh, 20 years after my third child and so I was managing and dealing with my own story and what was going on in my own life around my relationship that I had with with Carly my daughter's father um and Stephen and I uh had not having spoken for 10 years um having really big conversations around the trauma that happens when you're living in a large family on one of seven there's five of us and Stephen and I never actually spoke about the fact that we hadn't spoken for 10 years, but we had lots of really big conversations. And on that journey with him, I knew that I couldn't go back. So I'm a HR um, operations corporate background. And um, I knew that whilst I was working with Stephen, there was no way I could be going through, it felt like, I don't know, it was like, it was the hard, one of the hardest times of my whole entire life and I could not be going through one of the hardest times of my whole entire life, supporting my brother during his cancer journey, being a mum again um, 20 years after, um, I, and I was told I couldn't even have any more children and then accepting that and just just so much emotional stuff to unpack for myself and then my brother was so angry 
and mm. all of his anger and everything that was coming up and being the sounding board for him and um and that's where i i knew that i had a bigger purpose i had there was something there was that what i had been doing was not where i was going there was something much much more important for me to do so even at that point you had that you had that awareness to know that yeah like yeah yeah i just i just within myself i just i just kept you know calling to the universe calling to to god calling to whoever you know whatever that higher being that you want to call that higher being yeah saying i i was going through the fires of hell like it was hard hard work it was it was my own relationship with myself it was the relationship living with my brother and the relationship with the with the the rest of the family the relationship with the partner that was extremely challenged because we weren't expecting to have a child the relationship of us moving in with my brother whilst he was on his cancer journey there was just so much and it was all so big and um it was like one of those sink or swim life stop life pivotal points and i had to i i had to get help I had to get help. I could not navigate this by myself. And while I was getting help, I, I connected with a coach and her name's Sally. And whilst I was working with Sally, while I was navigating this most challenging time of my life, I realised that that work that Sally was um, holding the space for, for me as I navigated this huge part of my life, um, was more valuable. I couldn't have done, I couldn't have achieved what I achieved within myself, within all of the relationships around me um, without the support of a coach. And I, that, and I knew I wanted to do that for someone else. Oh, so good. And that, that holding space piece for the listeners, that's such a powerful piece because having someone like Deirdre or Sally, as you mentioned, to take part of the load, right? Yeah, yeah. To have you feel, yeah. It's so, it's so. Big. Not judging you, you know. Not someone who can just go and dump, like you're dumping, but they're teaching you tools. They're giving you skills. They're yes. I don't even know the right words, you know. Like we just turn when we're when you're working with a coach, and you know, like I was working with a coach that was supporting me on massive emotional challenges and how to control my emotional response, how to learn to be in, in, in control of how I was turning up, how I was showing up. And no one had ever taught me that before. Yeah. How crazy is that, right? Oh, here I was 43 years yeah. old, not even knowing how to control my own emotions. But I figured if I didn't know how to do that, surely there must be a lot of other people out there who are in the same boat. Yeah, like everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And once you learn how to do that, you just want to get to the mountaintops and yell, to, you know, scream out to everyone, hey, did you know, let me share a massive secret with you. You can control this stuff. You get to be the, um, you get to be the person who's deciding how you act, respond and behave, not that emotional trigger that's just launched you into outer space. Yeah, well said. <laughs> I uh, I can definitely relate to wanting to scream it from the mountaintop, and uh, I don't know if you experienced this as well, but 
not everyone's ready to hear that scream, particularly people close to you. <laughs> that can be quite challenging early days of the journey, right? Yeah, it is. It is. You. I think part of the, um, like when you first, my experience is when you first, I, I call it like a dimmer switch, like the dimmer switch turns up, 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 and you get to that point where you're like, oh, my goodness, and I want to share it. I want to tell everyone, like, you've got this really great, tool this really great skill and you want to share it with everyone and then all of a sudden you realize that no one else wants to understand and it's that learning of that you know like you go through that uncomfortableness of I want to share it with everyone and why can't they understand how cool and how valuable this is and then finding how to live in that space of waiting for them to be ready to hear yeah I love that and sometimes Six years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it takes, I don't know about you, but it took me years as well. So so we actually want to get to fast, well, rewind even further back because mm. we were we were talking before we came on about the, the big moment for you that changed everything. And while what you've talked about here is already, I can tell, is full of much grief, it was actually something else that was the the big moment that sort of stopped you in the track. So could you tell us a bit about what that experience was and, and what was what was that like for you? Yeah, I often feel I have to be really brave to talk about this part of my life because it really was, um, there was just, it was like um, sometimes we get a feather, sometimes we get a, um, you know, a truck and other times we get like smashed over and we're like, can, we can hardly move, you know, we're, we're really laid up. And for some reason, a lot of us have to be really stubborn and get really smashed before we listen yeah. to what we need to hear. I've asked myself often in the past is why did I have to be so stubborn? Um, but I was working for a, for a company that my partner owns and I had been working out, in, out on the mines here in Queensland and working 80 hours a week. And it was just when the downturn was happening in 2015 here in the coal mines and stuff like that. And I has my role previous to going out into the mines and working on this project, which was really exciting because I was working there with Peter, my partner, and I was also working there with my um, son, Liam. So it was really, it was a really great experience and I really enjoyed it. But with the downturn, I wasn't sure what role I was going to go back to in the office. And there was a lot of office politics and backstabbing and girl stuff, you know, unfortunately. Um, and when the project ended, the company that I was working for decided to make me redundant. And I felt really, I just, I was reeling. I did not know how to cope with this because I was in relationship with Peter, who was one of the company owners, and I felt betrayed, like the, the most amazing betrayal I've ever felt in my life. Because at that point in time, because I'd gone and worked out on a mine site, I was driving a company car, I was living on site and in a company house, and um, so I had no car and no home, and the relationship I was in was very tenuous and I wasn't quite sure what was going on in the relationship. And then I found out I was pregnant. 
Mm. And I'm going, how, how do you get to 43 years old with no home, no car, you know, no transport, not even sure about the relationship you're in and pregnant? Like how, how does this happen? Um, and my partner, Peter, Carly's dad, at that point in time was very surprised to be becoming a father again because he, he, he turned 50 the month Carly was born. And so this put extra um, complications, extra stress on the fact that I was pregnant. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, he, he wasn't dealing with it very well. And um, I, I just, I felt like so my life was spiralling out of control. And in that time, so when I was going through that and realising I'd put everything, I'd put my whole soul into this company, I'd put working 80 hours a week, selling my home, I'd moved my sons out of the like out of the family home. I'd made massive decisions, all based on this relationship and this this business, and they just ditched me. Yeah. <laughs> and I just felt like as though I had the everything pulled out from underneath me, and I I was so lost, and I didn't have any tools on how to navigate that at that time as well as I would now, thankfully. However, it was at that point that I went never again, never again am I going to put in that much work, that much effort for anyone else again. I am, if I, when I go back to work, because at that point I had massive morning sickness, I will only work for myself. And that's what I've done. Wow, that's cool. So if we just go back to, to working through that, of all the different things that have that you've mentioned already, why was that particular incident the one that stands out? Like, what was it about that that created that impact? Um, you're, good at, you're good at digging, right? <laughs> <laughs> I told you that before we came on. <laughs> uh, so in 2011, uh, I was married to a man named Tim, who's the father of my three sons, and I left him um, and pursued this job and this relationship with this guy named Peter. And I had basically bet everything, like bet my whole life on this pursuit. So I broke my family. I caused a lot of pain. <laughs> and... Um, then all of a sudden, you know, it's 2015 and um, my world's crashed. You know, like this, I, I ruined my family for a life that I was rejected from mm. and it felt that way. And so, yeah, so I was just, I was really lost and I felt broken, like I've never felt broken before. overwhelming at the time <laughs> yeah that's I know how important it is for the listeners to know that just because we've done a heap of work to work through this doesn't mean there's still not things that we're continuing to work through we're, we're by no means perfect no 
I feel like sometimes, if anything, like those of us who choose this path have got more than most, and that's why we're so passionate about helping people because every time we look out there in the world, we see something that we've been through that we don't want anyone else to have to go through, right? Yeah, and, you know, so often I I listen to my clients' stories and I can feel the the resonance and that that memory of my own sadness around this story, which great grace thanks to the grace of God, we've already healed before our client gets in front of us because that's just the way this process works. And yeah. sometimes it might have only been the day before that you've healed it for yourself and then you've got someone in your space just to cement that work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love I love that you've highlighted that because it that it's still I still marvel at that. Whether it's something that we did ten years ago or something the day literally the day before. Oh wow, cool. I just learned this. I can't wait to pass it on to you. That's yeah, that's yeah. part of the magic on it. Oh so good. So what was the predominant emotion? Was it was it guilt, or was it something stronger than that? Because you said you felt like you'd broken your family only to have what you broke it for, ending up being broken. <laughs> yeah, not what you thought it was going to be. I failed. I'd failed. You know, um, <sighs> in in my in my um, stupor of uh, desolation, I just felt like as though I had really, can, am I allowed to swear? You know, like, yeah. I get up. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, it's like I'd backed the wrong horse kind of feeling at the time, you know, like what the heck did I do? What What's going on here? Um, and I've, you know, like, because when we're in grief, it, it's not about making sense. It's just all those emotions rolling over us and feeling all of, you know, the guilt of leaving my sons and like feeling that I had failed. I had failed. I abandoned my sons. I abandoned my um, marriage. I, I had ran away and um, here I was. It was, I suppose, like karma <laughs> that I was, um, you know, sitting there feeling the same way as what I'd made them feel. Yeah. I mean, I, I know everyone gets what they need from an experience, even if it's not what they think they want. So mm. for you to make that decision to leave your marriage, you wouldn't have done that on a whim, right? It's not like you were leaving just because you were chasing something else. It was like that, that these things all happen for a reason, right? Yeah, it, you know, even it was just one thing. It was my my son Liam, his best friend had recently died and I was standing in the church with Tim and my three sons and um, Liam's best mate's parents were standing in front of us and the dad was holding the mum and he was supporting her and I was just standing there going, I will never get supported like that. The, you know, I wasn't with a man who had the ability within himself. It was I felt that I was the one who had to support him and, um, and that's how the relationship was. Uh, and it was like something kind of, I just felt in that moment that, 
I couldn't do it anymore. You know, like if I was to ever have to handle something this big, I I didn't I wanted someone who was going to be there for me, who was going to be my rock, and I was tired of being the rock for someone else. Um, and I met Peter, who, by the way, I'm currently with, and we have an amazing relationship. It was, you know, we just go through the ebbs and flows of relationships, and thankfully we've we've been through some big stuff, but we've worked it out but he he was on the day I met him I was just like wow there was just something there was something different and my heart it was outside of my control I completely felt like so I had no um I I don't even know the words involuntary right yeah yeah it was just and he (laughs) <laughs> he hates me talking about it. He hates me saying, I felt like as I had this beam of energy that just shot out of my heart and connected to him and I couldn't cut it. I couldn't break away from it. I felt as if I had no choice. I had to go. Mm, I love that. Um, there's a couple of things I'd like to unpack a bit more. The, the first one is, and, and this, you may have some thoughts on this, so I've I've worked with different people where either they've been cheated on or they've cheated. Not to say that's what the, was the case for you, but the the fact of it is that it still takes two sides to it. People whether they decide to to finish their marriage or whether it happens in a maybe less than glamorous way, it's still because needs aren't being met and. My knowing is that's no one's fault. That's just a product of a whole lot of different circumstances in each person's life. Yeah. So does that resonate for you? It's like the, 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 it doesn't actually matter ultimately whose f- perceived fault it is. There's, there's a disconnect coming from more than one angle. Yeah, yeah, I know it's really easy and it's really interesting because you see these posts on Facebook going, if your partner's cheated on you, do you think you could ever forgive them? That's the most bogus question anyone can ever pose because no one understands what's happening in the relationship. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Look, I um, I could sit here and I could blame um, my son's dad that he wasn't a good husband or he wasn't this or, or I was this or I was that. But it was it's it's more than that. It's 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 so many elements, and it's the relationship that you have together, and it's the connection. But it's also your own relationship with yourself. And if you are if you are looking to fill needs within yourself on an ex, always on the external, then it doesn't matter how fantastic your relationship is with your partner. If those need, if there's no way they can fill those needs because you can't even give them to yourself first, yeah. then then it's it's not their fault and it's not your fault because you don't know what you don't know and they can't give you something they have no idea how to give you. Yeah, spot on, which is why the first point whenever we've got different challenges in any relationship whether it's an intimate relationship or otherwise is what part can we bring to that it's that what you described there uh, earlier um self-control yeah 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 and you know like we're having it we we have emotional responses and we say yes to things and we do stuff 
and then we wake up the next day or we 10 minutes later can go, I don't know why I did that. I, I just can't believe it because we're having an emotional response before the rational thought process has really had a chance to have a say. And if you get caught up in that emotional response, then you've got no hope of reining it in. And people can be living on emotional responses for a long time, mm-hmm. um, about, um, patterns of behaviour and uh, stuff like that and feeling like as though it's not their fault and all of the stuff that we get that we do to justify why we're doing what we do. Yeah, and I, I know from my experience and, and from the help that I've given people is that there's a comfort in that pattern of behaviour. So it's become the new comfortable. So we almost resist everything that's going to take us out of that comfort, even if that comfort is not really comfortable at all. It just It's like we've, our brain's tricked us, right? Yeah. Well, you know, look at an addict who gets needles and injects it between their toes and, you know, in places that must be so painful, but they justify that because, and they live with the pain because the pain, the pain that they're experiencing is very short compared to the pleasure that they're going to receive. So we get addicted to patterns of behavior. Our body is addicted to the, to that, to the cortisol, to the stress response. And, you know, like if you've ever listened to Eckhart Tolle, he talks about the pain body and it's needing its fix. Um, so we're all kind of just big addicts, really. But yes. it's not talked about like that, you know, and everyone scoffs and looks down at an addict. Yet if you're walking around in emotional pain and playing out emotional patterns of pain and suffering and hurt and anger and shame and guilt and all of the other stuff, you're just as addicted as the person who's needling up. 100%. And, and or if in physical pain, because that's a reflection of the emotional stuff that you've uh, disassociated with or, or just not wanting to face or suppressed or whatever else it is. Yeah. For me, it was um, Russell Brand's book, uh, Recovery, when he was talking about everyone's addicted to ev- everyone's addicted to something and then it was like a slap in the face of my addiction to anger and it was like, mm. oh, wow. So it makes you look at addiction in a whole other way. Mm. I haven't read that book. I'll have to get it and read it. Mm. <laughs> it's oh, a unique yeah. take. It's a unique take on the twelve step process. Let's just say. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, it's always good to look at a different perspective. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're also quick to judge as a human being. We're also quick to judge and point the finger. But the most important thing, and the thing that that is resisted the most, is to come back in and look at ourselves first. And understand that often we're living a life of non-truths, like what you're saying before. Um, I use the word non-truth because we layer these angers and these these um, emotions over ourselves, and we walk around believing that's the truth of who we are. But when we actually do the work and we start to clear those um, patterns of behaviour and start to come back to the truth of who we are. That's when life becomes good. That's when yes. life, in, you know, like it's enjoyable. We're not having to worry about all that bloody drama. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's that's another, it is. That's another one of the addictions, right? Addicted to the drama. Yeah. And all the facets that it shows up in and the gossiping mm. and the judging and the anger in the traffic and, oh, you know, mm. it's, it's an endless 
drama fest. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then just repeats. Yeah. Uh, you, the other thing I wanted to unpack around that, that, you know, your, your previous relationship, people, you know, it's been a bit of a buzzword or phrase recently and people were having all these different says around uh, toxic masculinity. And it's like, I saw, I saw a image the other day and it's like, it's not, it's not the masculinity that's toxic. It's the absence of it. And so we live in this system that has men so confused about who they are and what they should be. And, and then we come across these challenges in our relationship. And, that, and what you describe then, it's like I think that's a, a familiar tale. You think about going back a couple of generations into, into wartime, men went off to war. The woman had to step up and do men's work and women's work and then these patterns just continue to roll out until we have something, often like you said, something rather bright shines a light on the fact that there's something's not quite right. So, so what have you learned about you and your being in that feminine from going through this experience and then coming out the other side into a relationship that you love? Um, you know, do you know what I've learned? Is to stop looking at my partner that it's all his fault because it's not. And if I had the um, wisdom then that I have now, I would have never left. But what's done's done and I have, there is no way like, there's something within me that's gone, I don't care what's going on, you are not staying a victim, you are learning, that's it, you are learning. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of sadness around the fact that I couldn't learn while I was living with Tim, but I couldn't. I wasn't, obviously I wasn't able to and I needed to leave and I needed to find someone who's quite emotionally um, unavailable often just to um, make me really step up. But what I've learned, what I've recognised within myself and in the patterns of behaviour in my family is um, the women are strong, and but the the sledging of the men is wrong. There's just too much. Uh, I I feel that we are not. We have these really high expectations of what men are supposed to do. And if they're not living up to all those expectations, we blame them. I know this is probably going to be controversial, but anyway, oh, we blame well, them that it's all their fault, but do not take any responsibility for our own selves in that space. And it's wrong. And I am sad that I was, that I did that and that I, that I contributed to that. But I'm grateful that I can that I have been unpacking that for myself, working with my own coaches, going through that and untangling it. Um, and, you know, this relationship that I'm um, in with Peter, it's we've been together for 10, 11 years, something like that. It has been a thousand times harder than the relationship I ever had with Tim because I have chosen in this relationship and I've been able to, um, in, in the dynamic we have together, to go and do the work, to grow within myself and come back into my own truth. And there's always more to go. Uh, but I believe that women as um, the society needs to come back into themselves because what we're doing is we're, we're looking outside of ourselves and blaming each other all the time and then we're having dysfunctional relationships and raising children in these dysfunctional toxic relationships 
And then, unfortunately, there's all these suicides and boys um, seem to, you know, my opinion with um, a lot of stuff in like the International Women's Day, it's just like, let's just give men a break. Yeah. And of course, we're both going to come from different angles and, and having taken a similar journey with my own stuff, it's like same with men when in their relationship when they're like, you know, like uh, sport, football, workplaces is rife with men complaining about their marriage and their children and their life. And it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, and that's all we're doing. We're all complaining to each other and not stepping up and taking action to heal it within ourselves. Yeah, and that's it. Like men stepping into action and stepping into whatever it is they need to do to be secure with themselves, to do whatever is required to to be that support and be that rock. It's going to create a ripple effect for their, for their partner. It's going to create a ripple effect for their children, like you said, because they're observing the same behaviours. And, of course, mm-hmm. that's going to ripple out to everything. So while, while at times you look at it and you go, oh, where, where do we go from here? Just knowing how quickly it can change when, when we start just doing what we need to do ourselves first. Yeah, and I, and I love the way that you look at it from the perspective of the guy. If the guy goes in and just starts healing himself, then that's going to impact on the relationship with his wife or partner. Whereas I'm kind of like going, well, if women just go in and heal themselves, that's going to change the relationship with their husband or partner and, you know, and then everyone around them. And, and it doesn't matter which perspective you're looking for. When human beings go in and heal themselves, it changes the relationships with everyone around them. But most of all, it brings you back into a really healthy relationship with yourself. Absolutely. And it's funny, like even the language. So from my experience, men don't necessarily relate with the word healing. Mm. It's whether it's got connotations or they fear what that may mean. I, I like to refer it, re- refer to it as much as possible as it's rehab. It's like rehab. they're injured. They've, they've got an injury. The injury wasn't their fault. So let's mm. do whatever's required. It's like physiotherapy for the uh, mental, emotional and spiritual body, right? It's like mm. what do we need to adjust to strengthen so that we can come out the other side and stand in our power and stand in our strength and, and perform at our best. Cool, I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna when I'm speaking with my sons and my partner and men in my life, I'll change that to rehab. Good tip, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's only a recent one for me myself, so <laughs> um, and and this is the emotional evolution. rehab. Can you say that? Does that sound cool? Emotional rehab. <laughs> Well, uh, I've got something coming out soon, actually. It's anger rehab, um, which I'm finding is extremely beneficial, well, for men and women, but particularly for men because we do tend to do an exceptional job of suppressing our anger, Mm -hmm. and that's part of the challenge. Uh, We're not allowed to be angry, so Mm. we don't, so we push it down, but actually our wellness our future our relationships depend on us being able to have that emotional intelligence to to process the anger yeah it comes out in all yucky ways otherwise yeah and i know what because for me it was like 
coming home the coming home after work in the door and uh, that's when it when the heat's applied that's when it, it would explode on, on the sporting field uh and all those times where you don't want it to so yeah so we got a bit off track here but all very very powerful information for anyone who's listening so if we go back to you came out the other side of that redundancy and all of that rejection and all the guilt and shame that you that you said that came with all of that how did you start to rebuild like how did what was the first step to actually making change i had um previously in my life had a a big event you know because life's not all smooth sailing um in 2003 i had an ectopic pregnancy and i nearly died and um before i had surgery i was going not like this not like this i don't want to die like this and um it was very touch and go anyway through the grace of god i lived um and when i came out of hospital i spent three months praying and crying <laughs> asking for forgiveness and and really doing a lot of inner self-reflection and uh that was the beginning of me on my self-awareness journey and the sort of person I was, who am I turning up as? So I did a lot of reading back then, you know, we didn't have the internet like we do now. Um, we had libraries and we had books. And so I did a lot of reading and I uh, started doing a lot of self-awareness and, you know, just doing my own inner work. And then life got busy and I got on with doing stuff and, Move, life moved on that when I got to um, that point when in 2011 when I um, went through separation with Tim I was spiraling out of control because one thing I haven't mentioned is I had unfortunately started drinking alcohol watching my mum and thinking well this is the way we deal with stress in our life from eight years old so I was drinking a lot of alcohol, spiraling out of control. And I, um, you know, like drinking one or two bottles of alcohol every night and of wine. And uh, I needed to go and get help. So I actually went and saw um, another, a lady named Vicky and she did, I just can't think of the name of the sort of coaching. But anyway, it was all around alcohol. But when I went and started working with her, she didn't ask me one question about alcohol. We didn't talk about how many drinks I have. We didn't do any of that stuff. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know, I thought we were dealing with alcohol. And she's going, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. And we talked about my father and my siblings and what number I was in the family and my grandmothers and my grandfathers and all this family childhood stuff. And I'm like, what is what's going on i didn't quite understand what was going on so um but in amongst all that uh we i i realized that the most important thing wasn't about the alcohol it was about how i was dealing with everything because of all the triggers so as I so as I started working with Vicky, I worked with her for three months, and I just kept working with coaches and getting support. 
Um, in, in that time when I was pregnant with Carly in 2015, I actually wasn't working with a coach right at that time, but I had been working with a coach so I, um, previous to that. But because I went out to the mines doing 80 hours a week, it wasn't available to me. No time. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. So I... Um, but I had a lot of resources. So I started listening to all my resources again uh, and reminding myself, reminding myself um, of, you know, how I needed to think, clearing. Um, but I hadn't done, I, I do tapping. I hadn't learned about tapping then. I was journaling. I was doing yoga. Um, I was going for big walks and doing, uh, you know, th that doing that and um so yeah it wasn't until I was living with Stephen in 2016 that I started working with a coach again 17 sorry 2017 was that whole process exhausting yeah I look back at all that and go I don't know how I did it <laughs> yeah but I, I was, um, it was a very, it was exhausting. It was exhausting because I was still learning how, like, really, I still had a lot that I was unpacking for myself and coming back to myself and so many triggers, so many triggers going on. There was relationship stuff and, 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 I, and at the same time, I wanted to start my own business. Like I was passionate that I wanted to do my own business and I really wanted something for myself. So I just had crazy stuff going on in my head about wanting to find my own purpose and um, whilst doing all this other stuff. And, yeah, it was – I was very – I gave myself a hard time a lot and then I would drink. So then I'd give myself an even harder time. So it was all quite – it was all quite – interesting <laughs> yeah so you've been through like a, just a roller coaster of different life events and challenges what's the most important strategy that you've learned to get yourself back on track when you have those moments where you get a bit thrown off equilibrium i think um, for me tapping is something that is a really big go-to uh, response even when I was feeling a little bit emotional before I and when I was talking I did the tapping because it really does it is so powerful have you done tapping yeah. it is quite powerful and it is really good at regulating that um, automatic response um, system that's going on that bring that cortisol down so that you're not going into that overwhelm or having those emotions be more powerful or be powerful um, but you know, one of the big things that is really the area that I'm really laser focused on and where I'm working with myself and talking to my clients about is what we're saying to ourselves, like that constant narrative of, you know, would you really want to live with yourself? Like when we talk to ourselves the way we do, so, um, we're, you wouldn't hang out with yourself if you had a toy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, nice. I like, I kind of, I quite enjoy spending time with myself now. I give myself permission to actually love myself, but that's taken a lot of work. 
which is crazy because babies aren't born going, oh, don't look at me, I'm disgusting. You know, we're like, hey, look at me, I'm just gorgeous, feed me. Um, so, <laughs> so unfortunately, it's it's that's one of our non-truths that we think is our truth and it's probably the most painful one. And um, Louise Hay has a book and she talks about doing mirror work. A lot of people, most, nearly every client that I've ever worked with, when they come into the space and I work with them and I say, can you look at, you know, like one of your exercises, look at yourself in the mirror and and just get, like make that eye contact where you actually just at least just looking at yourself without even saying something and that's not available to them because they're so out of they are so disconnected from themselves that they are not even able to look in their own eyes in the mirror and that I was like that too you know and I know how hard that is and I feel so much sadness that we are walking through this life not even being able to look at ourselves in our own eyes yeah so true is it as simple to say that we've used to being in spaces where we're not we're not seen and we're not heard so mm. we just repeat those patterns with ourselves right we don't listen yeah. to ourselves and we don't we can't look at ourselves well if you believe that you're not that important anyway and no one really wants to hear what you have to say then why would you listen to yourself yeah self self trust exercise mm. I, I love what you said about language uh, one of the phrases that really stuck with me was from Les Brown, and he said, "Language is the software of the mind." Language is the what? Sorry, the software of the mind. Yeah. yeah. So we could actually give it an upgrade, software upgrade, yeah. by changing the language, by changing the stories that we tell ourselves. And I can't remember where this one's from, but it's like we ninety-nine percent of our thoughts are the same thoughts that, from the previous day. Yeah. Unless we make a conscious decision that we're going to look at the world with an open mind and be curious and be open to what you believed yesterday can be completely different the next day. Like, like you were talking about before, that allows you to then learn something and then pass it on to someone because you're always looking for that next thing. Yeah. Thousands of different ways we have to work through our relationships. Yeah. But that's because we get better at doing so doesn't mean that the relationship's worse. It means the relationship's better. It just means we get much better at, at dealing with it instead of suck, stuck in that repeating the 99%. Yeah, and I truly believe that until you really tune in and become really conscious, um, Joe Dispenza talks about this, is becoming really, really tuned in. What are you saying to yourself? What is that pattern that you're playing out that you – that you're stuck in, like you're, we, like we are, we are in a program of we wake up on the same side of the bed, we get out, brush our teeth, make our coffee, drive the same way to work, and we just repeat, 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 repeat the conversations we're having, hanging around with the same people, doing the same things, and and we wonder why we're getting the same results. When we zoom out and we start watching ourselves and go. Am I really saying that? You know, like, do I really say that? When we start listening and tuning in to those conversations and not not tuning in and listening so that you can give yourself a hard time and start bashing yourself up, but yeah. being really curious about 
Well, who, I have a workshop that I host once a month and it's called Who the Heck Am I? You know, like who the heck am, am I? Who, who am I? Because we're so conditioned and so automated and so programmed that we just play out this same old, same old, same old day in, day out that we often are not even connected with who we are and what we're saying, how we're turning up. We're just, we're just, we're on autopilot. Yeah. So the only way we can change the narrative, the only way we can change, like, to have the long term, you know, like not just white knuckling going, I'm going to say this, for now I'm going to say this, but really listening to yourself on what you're saying and how it's making you feel. Yes. Then you can start making a, a better choice, Make you know, like, and you've got to be laser focused and keep bringing yourself into that awareness over and over and over again all day long. And it takes energy and it takes work but it's better than being in an unconscious program. Yeah, and the important part of that is, is like you were describing, it's like then it's taking the action. Yeah. Being conscious of it, but then actually acting on it. Otherwise, yeah. we look at a new habit, we get into a new habit, we can't make it stick until we break the habit again. And then we go back to that same place of complete self-judgment and speaking to ourselves oh. in a way that, we wouldn't want it, right? I failed. Look at me. I'm such a loser. Yeah. Are you kidding me again? What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. yeah. So I want to get some more of your wisdom if we can, Deirdre. So you, you start to realize that you want to help people. Like what were some of the steps you went to? Like you've mentioned having coaches. How did you choose a coach? Or did they fall in your lap or was it like were you consciously so, looking for something and then, then someone turned up? Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually would have been, um, yeah, so I kind of go, I, I need help. I need help. <laughs> and um, I can't do this by myself. And I literally tell the universe, tell my angels, my guides, I'm really mindful of not wanting to like be that I'm that it's any particular thing because I don't want like I don't want people to not listen to me because I'm going God, but it's it's whatever resonates with our own soul, um, whatever name we want to call something that's bigger than ourselves, even if it's your own magnificent self. Um, but I ask for help. I go, I need help in whatever way. Sometimes it's just in sobbing tears. I need help, um, and. It's like the the right fit falls into your lap. I don't know. It's just you listen to someone or you hear something or this someone knocks on your door, like on the internet door or your inbox or something, and there's just that res you resonate with that that connection on a vibrational energy that you haven't felt before. If you had if I hadn't have asked for help, I wouldn't have seen them. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So for those who aren't necessarily spiritually minded, life will give you all the feedback that you need. And if you want the scientific explanation, you mentioned Dr. Joe Dispenza before, he talks mm. about how we, we have the capacity to receive billions of bits per, per second, but we can only yeah. process in the tens of thousands. So if we give our brain a conscious awareness of what we want, even if it is screaming at the, uh, at the sky, like, I need help, well, then yeah. that part of your brain that, that 
is the conscious awareness will start looking for the help. And, and I, I love, like, like you said, things that fall in your lap. It's like you're sitting at a cafe and someone's talking about something and you go, hang on, I recognized a word there. And you start listening and suddenly your whole world is just these moments of feels like magic. But yeah, yeah. You're just, at, whether you believe in it from a, like a law of attraction or, or you just bring it down to basic science wow. Is that yeah. when you give, when you have focus, well, then of course you're going to find more of what you're focusing on. I, I, don't you just, sorry, I on. was going to say, don't you just love that there's all this scientific evidence behind all this woo woo stuff nowadays? It's just like, <laughs> thank you, Gerdy Spencer, thank you, Peter Stapleton, and all these research scientists who are proving that this is the real deal. Yeah, hundred percent. Basic level is is for the listeners is. What is that thing that you thought about and you were thinking about you might want to have a bit of that in your life and it kept showing up? Uh, the, the classic example for me was when my wife was pregnant. There's just pregnant women everywhere. Well, I haven't seen one since. <laughs> That's like 15 years. Where do they all go? I don't know, but they're there somewhere. And it's like the car, whether it's the car you want to drive, the shoes you want to wear, like anything, like having that that intention around what you want. Why would you not, why would you not to choose – there are certain things in your life that you want and go out and get them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once you decide that something that you want and you keep your thoughts on that, sometimes you don't even have to keep a conscious thought on it. It's just that subconscious desire and there it is showing up in your life. So, yeah, no, I'm really, uh, I'm really, really grateful to have worked with some really amazing coaches and uh you know like a good coach isn't a coach who's going to pander to all your will and tell you what an amazing job you're doing and um you know be you know like have kitten gloves on a good coach is going to call you out for your bs and keep you moving towards that which you are wanting to achieve and i've had really brilliant coaches that have you know kept me accountable kept me moving forward when I've been coming up with all the victim mentality and excuses and stuff like that, um, that they've called me out on it and, and you know, pushed me to achieve stuff that I would never have been able to achieve if I tried to do this all by myself. I couldn't be where I am today without the support of amazing coaches. Yeah, I 100% agree. I I often bring it back to sporting analogies. Roger Federer, the well, how, one one of, if not the greatest tennis player of all time, went alone without a coach for about eight months before he realised that uh, he too needed a coach. So it doesn't matter where you're at, you're always going to get huge benefit for having that that external person to observe, yeah. listen in a loving way, but then call you on your bullshit, like you said, and uh, give you strategies to move past it. Yeah. You know, I love learning. I love challenging myself. I love um, pushing myself outside of my comfort zones, even though I would hands down, no problems, say at the same time, I hate change. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but I, I really get the benefit of being uncomfortable now. And you, it feels nearly impossible to push yourself outside of the comfort zone when you're doing it by yourself. Mm. 
we could be here all day, Deidre. I've got so many different thoughts on where we go next. Um, you started by talking about your your brother and nursing him through his cancer journey. That was further down the track after you'd already been working with some coaches and you'd already done some of that healing work. You'd done some of the rehab and you and you're improving how you're feeling about the world. Mm. Did that make going through that process easier or more challenging? And what did you learn from, from that experience having to go through it? I, I remember standing, I was pregnant with, no, I had, had Carly. It was in September, 2015. And, um, we, I, I, I had, said to my brother that I'd move in and live with him. And it was two weeks before we were supposed to move in. And I remember standing in the lounge room and we're in a, an apartment and it's uh, going, crying, going, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not moving in with him. Um, because Stephen, as much as he's my brother and stuff like that, he's still, he was hard work, you know, like we're all hard work. And I was scared. I had, you know, relationship, my own stuff going on and then I'd committed to looking after my brother and Peter said to me, you've made a commitment, you're doing it, you're not backing out and he wouldn't let me back out. I hated him for that at the time. Um, <laughs> but I know that if I hadn't already done some work for myself, if I hadn't already cleared stuff and got through, had had put enough aside of my own stuff, I wouldn't have been available to go. It, it's, a, it's just like the universe works in the most marvellously magnificent ways or life, life, if you want to use that. What, why after being um, a project, uh, working on a project, um, you know, doing all this high pressure high responsibility, 80-hour week, doing all this study and HR, doing all this stuff, does does it align that, sorry, I know that sun's shining in there, that my, um, that I'm in a space and available to care for my brother when we hadn't spoken for 10 years and to be there with him on his, on the, the last 18 months of his life and not to be working, not to be working 80 hours a week, not to be tied up in all this other stuff, to have done enough work that I was available. You know, like I don't understand how it all plays out or, or why it works the way it is. I'm, I'm, um, I have gratitude that is not be able to be expressed into words that I got to have that last 18 months with my brother before he passed on and we got to have the most amazing, powerful, frustrating, exasperating, challenging conversations of my whole entire life with him. And, you know, I just believe that it was meant to be. Like that was, this is where I'm, I had to go through everything that I had to go through to be where I am today. Would have I chosen all that? No. Am I grateful for it all? Yes. Um, 
I know we're talking about how how great it is that there's science to back everything up, but I want to go somewhere where that maybe that the science doesn't necessarily uh, fully back it up. But okay. how does Stephen still talk to you now? <laughs> That's really funny that you asked me that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why in a sec. Keep going. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm laughing because um, before Stephen passed away, because you know, like. He was he was dying. We knew he was dying. Um, he was in palliative care, and well, he lived. He he passed away at home, um, but we had the pal, you know, the blue nurses and everything coming over and stuff like that. And I said to him one day, I said, "So, Stephen, apparently, you know, if you believe in this stuff, when you die, you can still communicate with me. You can, you know, send me a sign like a butterfly or a feather or do something like really cool." And that I know that you're still here with me. And he looks at me and goes, okay. He goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tickle you in your right nostril. <laughs> and I went, don't you dare. Don't you dare. That's terrible. And he communicates with me by tickling me in my right nostril all the time. It was, and to the point, sometimes I'd be sitting there and I'd be, oh, oh. and you may have noticed that I actually even, because I've been talking about him, um, like just pressed on my nostril um and but i'd be sitting there at times you know over the last five years and it's more so at the beginning and i'd be doing stuff and next minute i'd be just like oh steven just leave me alone because it was just constant tickle 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 till i'd be like okay all right you got my attention what do you want just just leave me alone um but now i just go oh hey hey going <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what I felt like just then. It was like I just got this slow, like, tapping. Like, oh, tapping. That's interesting. Like, it was like, what is that? Like, what? who's trying to get my attention? <laughs> it's interesting. Now the inside of my left nostril is itchy. What are you doing to me? <laughs> um, now, yeah. Now, for those listening that are, that are hugely skeptical yeah cool like that's for me that's the first step before curiosity like i was hugely skeptical of all this stuff but there's part of me that just like i, I couldn't get enough of it at the same time i was just like so drawn in by that supernatural and and uh, as i'm sure i say every time this comes up in one of my chats it's like I, I don't need science to explain what i've experienced and i've asked so many different people like well, what what have you like have you had a sign that like they they're communicating with you and like everyone's got them not everyone wants to talk about it in an open forum but but they're there and why would you not want to believe that you're getting those messages cuz it's just it's yeah. just fills you with so much joy Oh, you know what? I'm really, I really embrace it now. I, I just really go with it. And because I meditate, I, I set time. I didn't always do this, but I absolutely set time now every day to meditate. I, I realize how important it is. I didn't realize for that long, like for a long time, how important it was, but I do now. So now every day, um, you know, at the beginning of the meditation or five or 10 minutes into it, my you know you you could say oh maybe you're just expecting it so you so it happens but it doesn't matter i don't care the whatever all i know is i feel um that steven's presence is around me 
And if he's out there in this spiritual world and he can give me strength and guide me in ways that I can't do by myself, then I'm open to receive his support. And I appreciate it. Love that. And and even if you believe in uh, what, what you talked about, you, the most magnificent version of yourself, well, then if they're bringing forth some knowing around that relationship that you need to hear at that time, how's that any different? Just call it whatever you want, but it's significant. If you've thought it, it's significant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So, Deirdre, I'd love for you to share some more about the work that you do now and what you might have coming up and, and where people can find you. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, I predominantly work with women. That's that's who I connect with the, um, the most uh, because I am, you know, openly talking about that a roller coaster ride around the emotions and that self-relationship. Um, and I work with all age women. I have um, from a 17-year-old young sports girl through to women who are in their 60s that I work with. And I work online. I have an office here in Mackay and I have um, I have two different programs. I've got one that's called a 28-day reset program and that's a, a program where we do tapping and hypnotherapy, uh, rapid transformational therapy. And it's very, very structured. It's a very structured program. It's 28 days where we get, where we, I teach you um, and we do uh, tapping and, and you learn about tapping and how to use it as a tool in your life, journaling, um, how to do self-hypnosis to shift you through. So it's all about um, reducing anxiety or clearing anxiety, you know, like addictions and um, things that you go, I just want to deal with this one thing, like this one nugget of gold. If I could just clear that one out of the way, then, um, then my life will be peachy. Um, and then I do a, what's called a me first six month coaching program. And that program is not a structured program at all. What we're dealing with is what's going on. So if you're, if you're 50 years old and you've, um, been living with yourself for 50 years, then we've got 50 years of work that we're working through. Um, 50 years of beliefs because we start forming beliefs about ourselves and who we are and like putting labels on ourselves and becoming up, coming up with, um, patterns and all that sort of stuff that's not really true about us we come up with conclusions and decisions that say that we're not good enough that we're not important that we're useless no one loves me love's not available to me all of those things so we're always working on what's coming up for you today to clear that pattern that's attached to the past and the reason why we work on what's happening today so you can be working with me this week and then you come in next week and you have had a major event happening in your life that's caused you to fall apart. And um, there's no point working on whatever the next step is if we need to deal with what's whatever's, whatever has occurred between now and then. So we're always just dealing with what's going on right now, you know, like, and that was invaluable for me when I was going through that journey with Stephen. I just needed to be able to turn up and go and fall apart on what was happening today so that we could clear that trigger um, that was being triggered for me in my life, you know, around that presenting situation. Um, I, I work with my clients. They either can work with me um, on my six-month coaching package. It's up to them whether they work weekly or fortnightly. 
uh, they have access to me 24 seven. Um, we, we, there's a lot of support around the coaching. There's a lot of tapping. There's a lot of um, coaching processes to move through and get really good clarity and understanding on what's going on for them on the in on that inner relationship with themselves so they can really really do and unpack what's going on for them in processes that I've come up with for myself for me to really understand my own inner self and I like they're really powerful I really love them and we've got a whiteboard in the room and we do there's lots of lots of work that we're doing in the room and then there's lots of work that they're doing outside of the space as well um, and I love that program. It's like my favourite. Um, I have a women's circle here in Mackay. Uh, I do workshops um, online. Uh, however, I have, I am only just bringing the online workshops back in later this year because I had a break from them. Awesome. And where's the best place for people to find you, Deirdre? Uh, on Facebook is where I hang out the most. I have a website also, www.mybeautifulself.com.au. Um, currently writing a book, so there will be a book out later this year. And, um, yeah, just just on that all that social media stuff. <laughs> awesome. Well, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. It was amazing how many synergies we had there going through that. And, uh, yeah. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the wisdom and and open sharing that you did today. Thank you so much, Deidre. It was my pleasure. I really um I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the sharing in the conversation. I think it's in I believe and one of the reasons why I have the um one massive reason why I create I launched the women's circle which I have in Mackay. It's a free event that I host in Mackay um here in Queensland is uh to share stories. It's all about sharing stories and the more we can be as vulnerable as we can and share stories, the more we can connect and people can see that they're not alone, that you know, like like we're not alone. We the hard times I that I've lived through and the sadnesses and stuff like that, the more I can share, then someone can start go, oh, well, at least I'm not alone in, in my pain because we all want to be understood. 100%. And uh, many people out there feeling exactly that, not understood. So, yeah, thank you for shining a lot on that. Awesome. Thanks again. See you all later. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.